Rivers of Living Water on TalkZone.com. Rivers of Living Water is here to turn our thirsty world into a Garden of Eden, freely pouring out the Word of God to our desolate world. Now, here's your host, Howard Eugene Wright. Good morning, everyone. Thanks for joining us, and I trust that our Bible study will be a great help to you. We're studying in uh, Matthew chapter 5, and it's about uh, the Sermon on the Mount. Okay, so last week we talked about the Beatitudes, and so uh, the the Beatitudes are, the first one is uh, being poor in spirit, and when we're poor in spirit, we're talking about humbling ourselves under the mighty hand of God so that he can lift us up. So when we humble ourselves before the Lord, then we, ours is the kingdom of heaven. That's the first step in getting right with God is to be willing to humble ourselves, to admit that we are sinners, that we need God. And then the next thing is uh, a little farther where it says, Blessed are they that mourn, and they will be comforted. The Bible teaches us that when we seek the Lord with our whole heart, then he'll be found when we find the Lord or rather we might say the Lord finds us, then we are comforted. Then the next one is uh, the meek, blessed are the meek. And so the meek are those who are willing to admit that what they have done is wrong. The Bible teaches us also that if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So then we inherit the earth. And the next one, blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness. When you come to the Lord and and he comes into your life, then you want to be more like him. And so we have the righteousness of Christ. And we hunger and we thirst. We long to be filled with God's love and grace. And so this is what this one's about. And it says we will be filled. When we come to the Lord with a hunger to serve Him better, to love Him more, and to love people around us, then we just naturally are, are filled with what we're hungering for because God is able to do that in our lives. And then the next one is uh, blessed are the merciful. So once God has done a wonderful work in our lives, we can see what God can do for others as well. And we're not critical and and fault-finding with everything that people do that isn't exactly right because we realize that God has forgiven us and we need to forgive others. We need to be merciful. And so we're even willing to forgive our enemies regardless of what they've done to us. So it says we will attain mercy. When we're willing to forgive others, God will forgive us. If we don't, then he won't forgive us. Then follows, blessed are the pure in heart. So as we seek the Lord and and we turn our lives over to him, then he comes in and sheds his love abroad in our hearts and we become new creatures in Christ and, and we have a pure heart. It's not divided. We're not... Uh, going to serve God part of the time and the devil the rest of the time. But we have dedicated ourselves to the true and living God to follow him and to listen to his voice. And then it says, they shall be called, uh, they shall see God. And the closer we are to a pure heart, and, you know, there comes a time when it has to be pure. You can't do it by degrees, the one time you were corrupted in your heart and then God comes and washes you clean and you have a pure heart. The next thing it would follow would be that you're a peacemaker. 
So it says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. God's people are peacemakers. That doesn't mean that we're compromising everything that that we have, but we're encouraging people, first of all, to make peace with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. Then we make peace with one another. We're not warring and fighting with one another. And this is especially important in the church. We have so much in the church that is not a peacemaker and and one is fussing with the other, and and this should never be in the house of God. There should be uh, peace within God's house. And then it says, Blessed are they that persecute for righteousness' sake. So if you are living a godly life, if you're loving God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and loving your neighbor as yourself, you would think that everyone would love that. But that isn't the way that it works. Jesus told his disciples, if they hate you, they'll hate me. If they hate me, they'll hate you also. And so he says that people that are like that, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. We notice that at the first here, we're, we're talking about poor in spirit. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And those that are peacemakers, they're also uh, theirs is also the kingdom of heaven. So they are in the kingdom. And as we pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We are, are there. But then it says, blessed are they, are you, when men shall revile you, persecute you, and say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. It's not just because we're being stupid in something and and people don't like it, but it's because we're doing the right thing. And there are those that uh, get a little upset when they see a, a Christian just being a peacemaker and all these things. And it says, Rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so persecuted the prophets which were before you. And so this is the road to coming to God and living for God. And then from this time, Jesus shows what this new life is like. Exactly what are we doing? How are we responding in various ways? So the rest of the Sermon on the Mount is showing just exactly what a Christian life is like. There's so many people today that think that Christianity is this, that, and the other. But if you really have the love of God in your life, you know if you have the Holy Spirit inside of you, tabernacling in you, which is what happens when you really turn your life over to God, the Holy Spirit comes in and lives in your life. He, You become the temple of the Holy Spirit. And So from that time forth, you are a different person. You don't like the things you used to like, and you don't hate the things you used to hate. There's a 180-degree turn. There's no person, no one, regardless of how morally good you are or regardless of how mean you've been, that doesn't have some kind of a change, uh, some kind of an attitude change, some kind of a change in the the way that you want to do things. We've been told that when you become a Christian, you can do anything you want. But the thing is, your want has been changed. And so if you're really a Christian, you can do anything you want because you're going to want to serve God and love Him and love people around you. And you won't have any bitterness and jealousy and pride and all these things running around your life uh, causing you difficulty. But then Jesus talks about his people, his disciples. He's talking to his disciples here. And he says, you are the salt of the earth. That means that that you are a preserving element, that you are someone that is uh, taking care of the corruption. And so when a 
person is a Christian, he attempts every way that he can to help the society be a, a better place to live. So he is uh, talking to people and trying to help them to realize that Jesus' way really is the best way. So we become the salt. We become the purifying agent. If the Christian, if the church is going strong, then the country and our area, our community is also going strong. If the church has gone the wrong way and is following after everything except the Lord, then the society is going to start falling apart too. If our society is falling apart, which appears as though it is, then the church has a big responsibility to be the salt of this earth, wherever they're living. And so it says that if you're not the salt, then you're not worth too much. And then we go down and he says, you're the light of the world. So we're the salt of the earth, we're the light of the world. Jesus is the light of the world. He came to shine light into our dark world. And we are the reflectors of that light. When we have been redeemed by the Lord, when we have been saved, when we've been made a new creature, when we've been born again, and our lives have been transformed and changed, then we become the reflector, a good reflector of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we go about doing good as well and helping all those that are afflicted by the devil. I'm a Christian counselor as well as being a, a minister, and and so I know what I'm, I'm talking about when I'm talking about being the light of the world, being the salt of the earth. He says, let your light so shine before people that they'll glorify your the Lord Jesus, that they'll glorify God. And we're not just showing off. We're not just uh, doing these things that, so people look at us and say, what a great person that is. And we will be great people, all right. We will be... Uh, the kind of people that most people would would be very glad to, for them to be their neighbor and for them to be their best friend. And the only ones that wouldn't want that are the ones that want to live in their sins and serve the devil in sin. And, and Christians kind of rub against that, which you're going to find out as we go through this these scriptures. Now, the next thing in verse 17 of of chapter 5, Matthew, chapter 5, verse 13, I mean 17, he's talking about that I didn't come to destroy the law or the prophets. In other words, he didn't come to do away with the Old Testament. The Old Testament scriptures, and the Christian Bible has an Old Testament and a New Testament. The Old Testament is the law. The New Testament is grace. And the Old Testament is God's word concealed, God's salvation somewhat concealed. And the New Testament is God's salvation gloriously revealed. So he says, I'm not against the law back there. When a person becomes a Christian, he didn't become lawless. She doesn't become lawless. They, uh, the law is written in her hearts and it becomes a part of us. We keep the Ten Commandments just be, not because we have to. We keep the Ten Commandments because we want to, because it's just natural for us to do it. So Jesus isn't against the law, but he came to fulfill the law. And he came to fulfill the sacramental part of the law. He came to fulfill the Commandments, the Ten Commandments, are not Ten Suggestions, but they are Ten Commandments. Okay, we're up on our first break. So I'm Howard Eugene Wright. You're listening to Rivers of Living Water on TalkZone.com. 
Now, more Rivers of Living Water on TalkZone.com with your host, Howard Wright. We're doing a Bible study on Matthew chapters 5 to chapter 7, which is called the Sermon on the Mount. And we've just gone through the first part of that. And we came to the place where Jesus said that he didn't come to fulfill the law. I mean, to to do away with the law, but he did come to fulfill it. And so we we see here that that Jesus didn't come to make us lawless. He came to help us to follow the laws. There are natural laws that if we follow those, we do just great. If we don't follow them, then we fall into all kinds of difficulties, tears up our society, tears us up, destroys everything that's good and right. And so it's very important that we follow the natural law, which is the Ten Commandment law. This is built right into the system. And so he said, I didn't come to destroy that. I came to fulfill it. And then he says uh, that whoever should break one of the least of them, of those commandments, and teach others to do so, that that person would be the least in the kingdom of heaven. This shows the seriousness of it. If a person uh, goes around living like the devil in sin, and uh, he goes to breaking those laws, then God is not pleased with him in any sense of the word. This is really what he's saying. But then he says if if a person hears them and then does them, then that is different. Then that person is is great in the kingdom of heaven. So one of the fruit, the way we can tell a Christian from a non-Christian is whether they're keeping God's laws or not. Jesus said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. And so if we stand up and say we love Jesus and we do everything we can, just opposite from what Jesus tells us to do, then really we're lying. We're lying to ourselves. We're lying to those around us. And we're not going to get anywhere that way. The best way to uh, live a life of peace and and satisfaction and uh, to see be blessed is to live according to the way that God has laid down for us to lay, to do. And there, there is a way that God has decided we do things. And if we do it that way, then we have good results. If we don't, then things just begin to go downhill. I, at this point, I would like to give you an illustration to make, make you understand more of what I'm talking about before we go into the rest of this. There was a story told about a, a man that had got himself a little snake. The snake wasn't very big. It was it was uh, just a small one, just in a small box. And so he brings it home, and and in process of time, it, it turned out to be a bull constrictor. And you know what a bull constrictor is. It's, it's a pretty good-sized snake when it gets big. So he uh, raised it up, he fed it right, he treated it right, and he got it to the place where it would wrap itself around him, and then he would say, let go, and it would let go. And crawl over, and he would kind of, you know, that's great, uh, keep on doing that, it's just wonderful. And so uh, it turned out that he decided he'd try this in the carnival. So he, he uh, became quite famous as he would take this snake up on the platform in front of everyone and he would let the snake wrap itself around him and then he would say to the snake, let go, and the snake would let go and crawl back into his cage and and everyone would ooh and all and they thought that was just wonderful. But one day, things didn't exactly turn out the way that he thought they would because the snake, wrapped around him, but it didn't let go. And he was crushed to death right there in front of the audience. There's no oohs and ohs anymore. And there was one dead man. He thought 
that he could control the snake. And you know there's a snake in every one of us until we really accept Jesus as our Savior. And we might think that we have our lives under control, but that thing inside of us is just like a rattlesnake, just ready to strike us, just ready, like a bow constrictor, just ready to crush us. And if we don't get rid of it, it'll get rid of us. And to think that we can take that home with us and we can some way cuddle it is a big mistake that a lot of people have made and found out, sadly, what can really happen when we do that. And there's a lot of people today that think they can kind of go against God's law and go against his way and everything will work out all right because God's a good God and he won't send anyone to hell and all these kind of things. And so we just kind of go along, but it doesn't work that way. Sooner or later, sin is going to catch up with us. And so he he gives us some things here to show us what to stay away from. And as Christians, even though we're Christians, we're tempted. And we can't fall into the temptations. we got to keep our eyes on Jesus and not to be convinced that, oh, this is not too bad, it's just a little one. There isn't any such a thing as a little sin. A sin, if allowed to remain, will keep growing and it will become a monster sooner or later. So we can't allow sin to be in our lives. He said, I I say to you, and this is verse 20 of chapter 5, that except your righteousness should exceed the righteousness as the scribes and Pharisees, you shall in no wise enter into the kingdom of heaven. He said, you've heard of old that it's been said, you shall not kill, and whosoever shall kill shall be in danger of the judgment or in danger of hell far. And he says, I say unto you that whosoever is angry with his brother without a cause is in danger of the judgment. And whosoever should say to his brother Rekha, he shall be in danger of the council. But whosoever should call his brother a fool, he's in danger of hell far. And so, you know, there's something about standing by those who are standing by God. And if we uh, think that because a person's a Christian, he's being foolish, that he's out of touch with reality, and a few other choice things like that, we are in really bad shape. It's possible to destroy a person's reputation by saying such things as this. You think, well, that shouldn't be all that bad. It is bad. When we cause a person who's trying to help people to live for God and to love God and things like this, and then we attempt to muddy that person's testimony, then we have caused a lot of people to be led astray that wouldn't have been otherwise if we'd have backed up God's people as we should. They don't have to be a minister either. They can be anyone that really loves God because everyone's a witness that's a Christian. And as it's been said many times, you're either a missionary or you're the mission field. Those who have not come to know the Lord in all of his love and grace, they're the mission field. And those who have come are like the illustration. It's one beggar showing the other one where to get the bread. And that's exactly what Christians are. But if we uh, attempt to cause that brother or that sister to look silly when, you know, they're just trying to help people. He said, then he goes on to say, if if you bring your gift to the altar and you remember that you have something against your, your brother, and he said you leave the gift there and then you make things right with your brother, 
This is called restitution. If a person really loves God, they're going to want to make things right with other people as well. And so when they're there and they, they're praying and asking God to forgive them and they, and they're giving their life to the Lord and all at once they remember, now wait a moment, I've not been doing right. I've done wrong to, uh, some other person. I need to go make that right. So one of the good signs of finding out whether a person's really a Christian or not is whether they're going to try to make wrongs right that they have done in the past. Now, there are some things that we can't make right. We know that because there's, you know, it's, it's just done and there's nothing we can do about it. Uh, we'll talk more about this on the other side of our break, but we do have a, a little more time, not, and I want you to be thinking about, have you done something wrong with someone else? And do you need to go make that right? If you do, then go do it. It's not always easy. It's pretty hard. I know some of the things that I had to make right back in the past. There, you know, it wasn't all that easy. But if we're really willing to do it, God will help us to do it. And it's amazing the responses people may give us when we go to make that thing right. Okay. We're at our second break and so I'm Howard Eugene Wright, and you're listening to Rivers of Living Water on TalkZone.com. Welcome back to Rivers of Living Water on TalkZone.com. Here's your host, Howard Eugene Wright. I trust that you're learning some things today that will be of great help to you. you know, a lot of our problems out there are, we think of them as just some kind of a physical thing, some kind of a communication thing, and they are that. And maybe we think we don't have enough money, we don't have a, enough a popularity or whatever, but 99.9% of our problems are spiritual problems which can be solved if we get our spiritual life straightened out, then everything else will fall into place. As you're going to see as we go down through here and see the different relationships that God has for us just as human beings, just as people that are in a society. We're not running this thing ourselves. We have other people all around us that we're influencing one way or another. We're either influencing them for good or we're influencing for anything except good. So uh, we need to realize that in order to be right with other people, we have to be right with God. And once we get right with God, then the rest of it comes a lot easier. It, we can have a relationship with people and not have one with God. We call that a horizontal relationship, but until we really get a vertical relationship between us and God, then life can be rather meaningless. But when we really plug into what God has for us, then it becomes so much more meaningful and so it makes a lot better sense. So then the next thing here is verse 25, and we're studying the Sermon on the Mount. And so it's it's uh, Matthew 5, verse 25. He says, agree with, your ad- agree with your adversary quickly while you're in the way with him or while you're talking to him, while he's willing to listen, while he's willing to uh, make some concessions or, or to get things right with you. So this goes along with the verse ahead, where if you see that you have something, that your brother has something against you, if someone else has something against you, then you go and make that right. If you don't, it can get worse and worse. It can become a real problem, to say the least. So he says if you don't do that, if you don't make things right with your adversary, that person you have 
something against or he has something against you, said you'll be delivered to the judge. You might get sued. And then, uh, worse than that, the the judge might deliver you to the officer. And then, uh, even gets a little worse, you end up in prison. And then he says, you're not going to get out until you get things straightened up that way. So it's a lot easier to go out and make the restitutions we need, even though it might take a little of our time and our money and everything else in order to do that. And it may take a few years to get us all straightened out, too. But whether or not, it's a lot easier to do it that way than to end up in prison and just stay there. And many people's lives are in prison. You know, it's one thing to be in a a cell where you have to look through the bars, but it's another thing to be caged up with bitterness and and uh, with uh, resentment and all these kind of things can be as as much of a prison as anything. And when we're willing to let go of those things and forgive the people who have wronged us, and that is. Uh, getting us out of that prison as well, so people can be imprisoned with their attitudes as as well as ended up in a literal prison where they're looking out the through the bars. And there's a lot of people who are imprisoned with with rage and with bitterness and and with hatefulness toward God and other people and and. Uh, driving down the road and someone cuts in front of you and you're ready to run them off the road or, or shoot them or whatever, uh, that's, an, that's a prison that people get themselves into. But I'm glad that God is able to break us out of any prison of that nature and he can set us free and we can really love God and love other people and it makes a lot of difference when you're free from that kind of a lifestyle then we get down into um, adultery and you know there's a a lot of this going on today it says you've heard that's been said by them of old he's talking about the law again you see you shall not commit adultery that's one of the ten commandments that you shall not commit adultery but he says I tell you that whoever looks at a woman to lust after her in his heart has committed adultery already. So he adultery goes farther than just taking someone else's wife or someone's husband. It even goes to lusting after that person. And and it, he talks to men here that this can happen to women just as well. And so women are not exempt from this. But he says, if you, your right eye offends you, just take it out. And if you, you, one of your members should be lost, you'd be better off than being cast into hell. Now that doesn't mean if you're lusting, you go out there and cut your eyes out or put a blindfolder over your eyes or something like that, you have to take care of the inside that's causing you to do that way. So the way you cut out the eye that that is offending you is to get your eye singled out on God and on His way and on His righteousness, and then you're not going to be looking and lusting after what you're not supposed to be. The Bible tells us to put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. And so if we have Jesus in our life, we're not going to be doing this. And it's the same way with our hand. We're not going to be looking at things we're not supposed to be looking at in a lustful way. We can't help but to see it. But that doesn't mean it has to get down into our heart and become sin. And they also talks about our our hand. He says, if your right hand should offend you, said cut it off. Or don't be 
using your hands. Don't be reaching out with your hands and stealing or whatever. And But just quit doing that kind of a thing. Once we repent, we keep repenting. We don't turn back to the same old things again. We we keep looking unto Jesus. We keep doing the things that God wants us to do. We look at people in love, not in lust. We we look at people as deserving what we have. We don't go out and take it from them one way or another. We don't do these things when we really love the Lord. We we cut that out of our lives. And he says that, you know, uh, said that uh, people say, well, we can give them a writing of divorce. We can just divorce our wife anytime we want to. No, that isn't the way it works either. We have to be committed to our companions, to our wife, and to our husband. We have to be committed. And, you know, when we stand up and we, we say in sickness and in health, in weakness and strength and, and go through a lot of, of things like that, at least that's the way we used to. I don't know what we do today. Sometimes we don't even bother about getting married. We just go and live with the person. And that's the worst thing you can do, especially with with women. That's the worst thing you can do because there's no commitment there. So the, that man can go out and and live with you and run over maybe in the next state and live with someone else and have about ten families and you think you're the only one and and the first time you do the wrong thing, it can walk out on you, and there isn't a thing you can do about it. And so it's a pretty sad situation when you, you decide to live with the person and, and, you know, oh, I love him. Well, that's fine, but if you really love a person, you're going to be committed to them. You're not going to say, well, let's just try this out to see if it works before we get married. If If you have any doubt about whether it's going to work or not, Go somewhere else, but don't get caught in that kind of a, a relationship because 99% of the time it doesn't work out too well. There is such a thing as common law marriage, and every state has that, but that could be pretty tricky. And so I wouldn't uh, try that, but, you know, but he says uh, whosoever should do a thing like that should give her a, a writing of divorcement and divorce her. We, you caused her to commit adultery. And then he says, uh, you've heard that it's been said by them of old times, you shall not forswear yourself, but shall perform unto the Lord your oaths. So if we make promises, we better make sure we can keep those promises. It's serious to go around and say, oh, yeah, I'll, I'll do that and make the promise and then uh, have no intention of doing it or, or promising something you can't do. Make good and sure that if you make a promise that you're going to keep that promise. And so he says that we shouldn't swear at all. He said, don't swear by heaven. It's God's throne. And don't Swear by the earth, it's that's God's footstool. And Jerusalem, that's the city of the great king. And then he says, don't swear by your head, because you can't make one hair white or black. So that kind of leaves everything out, doesn't it? You know, people used to to swear, by the Lord Jesus, I'm, I'm going to do this. Or, you know, the, things like that. But... Uh, we shouldn't make promises if we can't keep them. We we should let our yes be yes and our no be no. We we should just uh, do what we say and say what we do. And he says, uh, but let your conversation be yes, yes, for whatsoever is more than this comes of evil. And you know, we we have people that would make a promise on a on a minute and walk away from it and never keep that promise. 
So be careful of the promises that you make. Now, the next thing is in verse 38 here, and uh, we're up on a, a break again, so um, we'll get back to that after the break. And so this, I'm Howard Eugene Wright, and you're listening to Talk to Rivers of Living Water on TalkZone.com. Let's get back to Rivers of Living Water on TalkZone.com. Here's your host, Howard Eugene Wright. We've been talking about the characteristics of a Christian life. And so these are words of Jesus. These aren't my words, but these are Jesus' words. And Jesus is the captain of our salvation. And He's the one that is the beginning and the end of our faith. So we need to listen to what he has to say. People will tell us about anything, but and we can swallow it and find out that it's a bitter pill. But if we'll do what Jesus tells us to do, then that's an entirely different story. And I know this because I've been living for the Lord for 58 years now. Today is my birthday. I'm 76 years old, and it has been quite a, a trip with me, a time of me following the Lord. The Lord's taken me all kinds of places and, and things that I would have never done if uh, God hadn't come back there when I was just a teenager and transformed my life, and I've never been the same. So I know what I'm talking about today. I know the temptations that people can get. I know how the devil can uh, make you think that things are really looking good when they're not. I've had enough time and experience to to be able to help you to stay away from some of these things if you'll listen. And you won't have to go through some of the things that I have gone through and others have gone through. So it's a it's a good thing, you know, if we'll just listen to someone who has already been there, and Jesus has been there. And so he can tell us exactly what he wants us to do because Jesus was God in the flesh. And so he is uh, what the we would talk about as being God the Son, and then we have our Heavenly Father, which is God the Father, and then we have the Holy Spirit, which is God the Holy Spirit. And these are just one person in three persons and I know that's hard to understand and I'm not going to take the time at this time to explain all of that but Jesus is God and he came that we might have life and have abundant life if we're willing to follow what he says in this Sermon on the Mount our life will be much easier and much better the closer I stay to this the better off I am. If I deviate just a little bit, I'm in trouble. And that's the way it is with everyone. So it's, it, uh, it's to our advantage, and not only to ours, but everyone around us, that we live just as close to the way that Jesus tells us to live as we should. Now, one of the problems is, is wanting to get revenge. And, you know, he did that to me, I'll do it to him. And, but, in verse 38 of Matthew 5, we see Jesus saying, You have heard it has been said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. And that's the way it was, you know. If, if someone plucked out your eye, well, you went over and plucked them out. And if they knocked your teeth out, well, you went out and knocked their teeth out. And But uh, that could be a vicious cycle. So then that person gets mad at you and, they decided to pull your hair out. I remember a couple of my family, and um, they were really going at it. You know what I mean? They were really fighting like everything, pulling hair out and what have you. And that didn't get anywhere. So he says, that's not the way to do it. He says, I say to you that you resist not evil. In other words, don't try to get even. Don't 
try to get right with the person by just doing the same thing they did, or maybe even worse. That'll not get you anywhere. He says, if they smite you on the right cheek, turn the left also. Now, that doesn't mean that you should just let people run over you, but it means don't let bitterness get in your heart from what people do. So just turn the other one also and go on. Don't let that get festered up in you and and you get more and more bitter and you decide you're going to get even with that person if it's the last thing you do. Many times it might be the last thing you do. You don't want to do that. He says, if a person sues you at the law and, and it's unjust, you know, they might just want to take something from you. He said, if they take your coat, give them your cloak also. In other words, if you, if they take your coat from you and give them the tie and the shirt as well and just keep right on going. And he says, if a person compels you to go one mile, go with him two miles. And back in those days, that's all they had to do is go one mile and then that was it. And, but he's saying, go ahead and go the second mile as well. And he says, uh, give to him that asked you and from him that would borrow, turn not away. Even though their borrowing might be, you never see it again. And so if we take that attitude of, of not, uh, revenging, not getting vengeance on people, we'll find that it works an awful lot better. One of the things that can cause heart attacks and cause uh, blood blood pressure, strokes, and even cancer and stuff like that is a bitterness inside of us. It just keeps gnawing away at it, and it destroys it. It gets inside and just devours it. And we just can't afford to let that happen. We don't have to. Whatever people do, just uh, walk off and and uh, say God bless you and and just go on. Now that doesn't mean that we have to like what they're doing. It just means that we turn it over to God and let God take care of it, because the Lord said, "Vengeance is mine; I will repay." And God will take care of it all right. And but we shouldn't try to take care of it ourselves. Okay. Then he says something even farther in uh, verse 43 of this chapter. And it's Matthew chapter 5, verse 43. And as we've said, this is the Sermon on the Mount. So this is Jesus preaching this. He said, you've heard that it's been said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Have you heard that? You love your neighbor, you hate your enemy. Well, what if your neighbor happens to be your enemy? It doesn't make a lot of sense, does it? But what he's saying is that that person that's that's near to you, that that is doing everything right, is being a good neighbor to you, you love that person. But if someone is is being hateful to you, well, you, you be hateful back. You don't do that. He said, that's not the way that it works. He says, love your enemies. Uh, wish the best for those that are doing the worst to you. Because there's some reason why they're being like they are. And there's sin in their lives. And the best loving thing you can do for your enemy is just exactly what he says. He says, bless them that curse you. Do good to them that hate you and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. So pray for them. You don't know what's going on in their life. Maybe they had a bad day of it. And, you know, like the story is, the family member has a hard time and he walks outdoors and there's the cat sitting there uh, looking up at him. And he kicks the cat. And so we have a, a bad thing going on. Someone's mean to us. We go out and kick someone else. And how many are we going to kick? How long are we going to hold that kind of an attitude? It just doesn't work at all. 
So he says, do good for them. Just live right before them. Keep loving them. Keep praying for them. Pray for those that despitefully use you and those that persecute you. And we can't do that without God's help. I'll guarantee you that it just will not work. But he says that we're to do this. And he says uh, that you may be the children of your Father which is in heaven. For he makes his Son to rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and the unjust. And so when the rain comes, he doesn't say, well, that's a wicked person over there. I'm not going to give them any. It goes for everyone, doesn't it? He says, if you love those that love you, what reward do you? Even the publicans or the, what they referred to as the sinners, they do the same. If you salute your brothers only, what do you do more than anyone else? Those sinners do that much that he said, be therefore perfect, even as your father, which in heaven is perfect. And if that's what the Lord wants us to be, he wants us to have a perfect love that cast out fear. And so I trust that some of these things will help you today to, to see that there is a way, a much higher level, a much higher plane to live where going to continue in this study. We're coming upon the close of our service, and we trust that, that this will be a, a blessing to you, that you'll have a wonderful week. And and uh, there's a lot of cold weather going around here, there, and yonder, so keep warm and keep blessed in the Lord. And so I'm Howard Eugene Wright. I'm signing off Rivers of Living Water at TalkZone.com.